Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose, noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. J.J., true or false, Okay. everybody is a leader. Ooh. Everybody. Ooh. Every single person. I think, okay, 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 settle down. Um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think everybody has potential for leadership in certain areas. Equal potential? Can I say that? Equal oh. potential. Everybody can be just as great. It's a I, learned skill. N- 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 Think Carol okay. Dweck. What would Carol Dweck say? <laughs> I would say not in all areas. Not in, not all, in areas. all areas. Yeah. Not everybody can get to be as good of a leader. In every area. You know, I, I agree with you. Yeah. My heart wants to say yes. I know. Everybody. And I don't want to get the hate mail. Yeah. And I think everybody can have leadership areas and they can lead in different areas. And yeah. I think you can grow in leadership. And I, I don't want to say you're born with it. I don't believe you're born with it. But I think there are people who have learned and grown and have a certain set of skills that applied in different areas are their stronger leaders. I agree. I agree. But they might also be horrible leaders in a different area. <laughs> you <know>? like, <laughs> well, you know, this idea that everybody is born with equal abilities to do everything yeah. is First of all, scientifically ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to play in the NFL. I'm not really? going to win a high jump competition. Interesting. I'm, what I can do, though, is I can jump higher six months from now than I can now if yeah. I work at it. Yeah. That's true. That is 100%. Whether true. I can be the greatest is not, and I don't see any difference with the ability to do math, yeah. the ability to write poetry, yeah. the ability to be a leader. Here's the real argument yeah. is. Is being great at something, does that make you a more valuable or redeemed human being? No. There you go. No. So now we're arguing that the fact that if not everybody's born to be a great leader does not mean everybody isn't beautiful or worthy. Yeah, yeah. Wow, this is getting... It, it like, gets I, deeply I'm philosophical. I'm starting to sweat. I'm so starting the, to When sweat you a actually bit. say, no, everybody can be a great leader, you have to subscribe to this idea yeah. that, well, only being a great leader makes you somehow a, a valuable person. Yeah. And it doesn't. Yeah. And so it's a trap. <laughs> it is a little bit. It's also a way for me to make a, a really great point. Yeah. Some people are born great leaders. <laughs> I, well, I don't well, know Well, some people are born with born. the ability or given the opportunities early as well. Like yeah. I think there's, you know, when you talk about leadership, because no, there's so many aspects of it, and part of it we get into this interview, there are character aspects, and that we talk about that a lot in yeah. this interview that's coming up. But there are other skills that are required, and I do believe that you can actually grow your character. I believe a character is not fixed. You can, like, your integrity, I believe you can actually grow your integrity. You can grow your care for other people. So there's an internal growth that can happen. Yeah. And there's external skills that you have to have as far as like potentially speaking in front of people, organizing thoughts, uh, casting vision, those kind of things that you can also grow in as well. So I do believe that there isn't just like you're either born a leader or not born a leader. I don't think that exists. But I do believe that certain people have been given opportunities, were born with certain skills that allow them some opportunity to move ahead early, and then they took those advantages and used them to move forward leadership. You know, two things that I want to point out. One, you've been a leader for a very long time. Mm-hmm. You've been a leader in academia and uh-huh. basically had to, you know, run big programs. Yeah. Was there a transition for you where it didn't feel intuitive or normal to, you know, I don't like the way this is phrased, but I'm going to say it because I think we all understand it, mm-hmm. to boss people around. And that is something that you had to get used to. Was there a phase of life where you had to say, you know, I'm willing to tell this person, I need you to go and get this done. Yeah. Because I remember early, because, you know, I was a writer for so long, I was alone, yeah. that when I started running a company, 
I needed to be very clear. I need you to get this done. Yeah. And there was a short period of time where yeah. that didn't feel quite like I had my sea legs under yes. me. Yes. And then when I realized, wait, no, I'm a good boss. They're really enjoying this. They don't think any less of themselves because they're the ones sort of serving my objective right now. Yeah. And the more I made it a collective objective, the more that... I had to figure some things out, and yeah. it took a season to do that. Yes. Do you remember that? Yeah. I don't know if there was a moment, because I think it, even today, there are still moments that yeah. like it's, it's sometimes a little... I go, oh, yeah, I need to step into this. Here's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think there are people who are born, and they never have to actually... You think so? I do. It may go in line with a little bit of sociopathic tendencies, yeah. to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. like, we yeah. actually studied it. Interesting. But they don't ever think that they literally grow up thinking, other people need to just do what I'm telling them to do. <laughs> and, le and let's hope by God that they have some sort of humbling before God vision yeah. that makes them a good person. Yeah. And I think a lot of them actually do. I, I but think, I think they have a little bit of an advantage. Interesting. And, and I think you and I can get there in, in yeah. degrees we have. Here's the one of the most interesting things that I ever heard about Barack Obama was somebody who said, you know, think about Obama. He, yeah. he was... You know, he led movements, he was a state legislator, he was mm -hmm. a senator, he was a professor. Mm -hmm. But somebody said one of the most interesting things was watching Barack Obama on the first month of his presidency compared to the eighth year of his presidency and the way he interacted with the White House staff who mm -hmm. were literally like cleaning the White House. And mm -hmm. they said it was a night and day difference. Mm -hmm. That at first, he was very much wanting to say essentially like, we're equals and mm -hmm. you know I've got my job you've got yours but yeah. it's the same and by the end of his attitude was I'm literally trying to stop a nuclear war I need you to just get this room clean and have my suit out yeah. and he interacted with them very very differently yeah. and that was always fascinating to me because it felt like I think leaders need to somehow go on a similar journey for me I was trying to go back to your question about when was that moment of change and right. I think for me when I started stepping into leadership more and more, or maybe being comfortable in leadership more and more, there were two things I think that shifted for me is when I did start to realize that actually it is a place of service, not a place of spotlight. Yeah. So when I That's saw huge. leadership as an opportunity to serve people and cast a vision, make people feel safe, make people feel useful, make people feel purpose that that was when I knew that I could step into that for others, that was a huge thing for me. And I was able to step into leadership a little bit more. And then the other part was when you understand responsibility. It's that ultimately when it comes to the success or failure of a project that I'm in charge of, if I want the responsibility of that project or the responsibility of the growth of some department, the leadership lies on me. It doesn't lie on somebody else. Responsibility and leadership to me go together. And so if I want the opportunity and the responsibility to move forward, then it's on me. I have to own what I'm saying, what we're doing as a department, as a company. And if somebody is doing something that I'm not, I don't think moves us towards where we're headed, then it is my responsibility because they're not going to be the ones in trouble. I'm going right. to be the one in trouble. Yeah, yeah. And, and, so and, and to, to accept that responsibility. And to accept it. And if you you're know, not willing I, to accept the responsibility, you can't accept the leadership. And I think on a normal journey of leadership, and there are a lot of people listening, probably in their 20s and their 30s, who 
the mantle of leadership has been given to them, mm-hmm. and it's becoming more comfortable. It's not quite comfortable yet. Yeah. I think there are two pieces of advice that I would give as somebody just 15 years older, in my yeah. mid-40s. I would say, one, you've got to accept the mantle of leadership. Mm-hmm. You actually have to take it. And this happened when my mom passed. Mm-hmm. My mom was always involved in politics, mm-hmm. never as an elected official or anything, but very involved in politics. We went to the Republican National Convention. We were behind the scenes. We mm-hmm. visited our state legislature, all that kind of stuff. We were always very, very aware. And I remember when she passed, there was just this feeling, and there was a feeling that was so strong that was, Don, it's your country now. Mm. And I think, I wish everybody in their sort of mid-40s would have that feeling of like, stop complaining, it's yours. If you're complaining, you're complaining about your lack of influence on what we're doing as a country. You can apply that to business, you can apply that to family. If you're complaining, you are not the leader. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you're not saying, you know what, it's on me, it's on us, we've got to do something. So it does no good. It doesn't serve the people who are under you yeah. to not accept the mantle of leadership. And then I would say that only works if you understand the second thing, and that is this be a good boss. Mm-hmm. It, you don't have to have a guilty conscience about telling people what to do and giving vision and understand. And that means sacrifice sometimes even your life for the people that you're serving. And mm-hmm. that's just, you know, a way yeah. to make it all work together. One, accept yeah. the mantle of leadership yep. and then serve the people that yes. who are under you in a sacrificial way. Yeah. And one, you're just going to be a great leader. Yeah. And two, the world's going to become a better place. Yeah. Well, today we actually interview Mark Miller. Yes. And he's one of my favorite people in the world. Mark is a prolific author. He was the 16th employee at Chick-fil-A. Oh, really? Yeah. So I don't know how many thousands of employees they <laughs> yeah. have. He was the 16th 40 years ago. That's crazy. They hired Mark Miller. And now Mark's job is fascinating. Every year... Chick-fil-A does a bunch of surveys and a bunch of research, and they just they figure out the number one problem that they have this year, which is a great system. Yeah. Because there's always going to be a number one thing you have to deal with, and that's one of the reasons they become such an excellence-oriented organization. They figure out the number one problem, and then they go to Mark and they say, this is our problem, fix it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And years ago, one of the big problems was not leadership in terms of skill set, but leadership in terms of character. Ah. The character of a leader. And Mark would tell you, just the way we open this show, leaders are actually different. Mm. They're wired differently. He would have enjoyed so he would hearing this that. introduction. <laughs> and, and you came to it without yeah. knowing that he said that. And of course, I had the it, benefit of knowing where we were going. It really <laughs> uncomfortable to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know why it, made yeah. us, it would make us uncomfortable? Huh. Because we're hardwired to survive. Mm-hmm. And there's more survival if we keep our head down in the herd. Mm-hmm. And there's less survival if you poke your head up and say, I'm going to be the leader because you're yeah. going to get pot shots. Yeah. And that sense of like, I don't want to admit that is yeah. actually where we have to go because this herd yeah. needs to be led somewhere. We're yeah. going to get killed by these hunters, <laughs> right? And so that was it. That's the tension. But yeah. I think that's the tension that leaders have to step into. Yeah. But the second part of that, if you want to be a good boss, mm-hmm. lead with character. And Mark said, he's not talking about lying, cheating, stealing. He said, that's the basics. Every employee yeah. needs that. That's not leadership. <laughs> yeah. That's ethics. Yeah. Leadership is different. There are five characteristics that make you a really good boss, where you can ease your conscience about being a boss if you do these five things, and he gets into them in this interview. So maybe by the end of it, JJ, we'll just feel better about the interviews. (laughs) We should learn from this. Yeah, totally. Okay, well, here's my interview with Mark Miller, and he's going to talk about the five things that are going to make you the kind of boss everybody wants. Mark, thanks for joining us. 40 years at Chick-fil-A, you were the 16th employee at corporate. That's correct. How many are there now? 1,800. 
My goodness. You've seen a lot of things happen. It's been a wild ride. And I would imagine, you know, we're a little bitty growing company, but it seems like every six months you create a new problem because of your success. Well, the reward you receive for solving a problem is a bigger problem. (laughs) And if you can't solve the current one, you don't get a bigger one. So we see those as a blessing. And you're the vice president of high-performance teams, creating high-performance teams. But really what you do is the powers that be say, we've got a problem. We need you to research it, understand it, write a book on it, create training materials, and solve that problem. And at this point, every single year they're handing you a new topic. Is that right? That's close. We're actually doing that, but we're trying to get a few steps ahead. So we're trying to anticipate what some the next problem is going and, to be and see if we can get ahead of them. Teams being an example, as we saw the, the restaurants growing in volume and complexity, we understood that the operator, the man or woman that runs that restaurant, was going to need more leadership capacity. And so as we began to think of ways to help them, we realized that building a leadership team would be a good strategy. Yeah. So we worked on that, learning about those leadership. Um, leadership teams. And then we began sharing that content with them. So as they were ready for that shift, a structural shift, and also a paradigm shift for them, that we had some ideas and we had some resources and we had some tools. So it is about problems, but we're trying to stay a step or two ahead if we can. Yeah. So the people watching this video or listening to this podcast, they're small business owners, $5 million company, those kinds of things. And they may make the mistake that I made early on in my business career where they kind of look at somebody and the company's growing. They say, okay, hired that person. They did a great job. But now that the company's growing, they really need to be a leader and they're just not a leader. So I need to replace them. And it didn't occur to me for a while, sadly, no, you need to develop them into a leader, not just say this person is or isn't a leader. We don't come out of the womb as leader, do we? No, but I do think that leadership is always predicated on a choice. So there are people who will choose not to lead, independent of what you or I may think about their potential or their capacity. It does begin with a choice. And did you guys see a point where you said, okay, we need to develop everybody at this organization? Because, you know, I look at my company now and I'm looking around, we've got 15, 20 people, and I'm realizing every one of these people is going to have people under them if they stick Mm -hmm. around here for very long. And we need to develop some leadership capacity. Was there a season where Chick-fil-A felt like that? Well, we've always believed that we should help our people grow. Yeah. Now, we have a leadership track and a professional track. Again, there's some people that by temperament, wiring, or choice have said, I don't want to lead people. They can add huge and tremendous value to the business. We need those people. Not everyone in our organization is going to be a people leader, but we want everyone learning and growing. And so that's been part of our culture for decades. You've written and thought a great deal about this. 25 years ago, you wrote The Secret, is that right? Uh, almost With 20. Ken Blanchard? Almost 20 years ago. We started working on it about 25 years ago. <laughs> well, the title's The Secret. It's a joint book with you and Ken Blanchard. The subtitle is What Great Leaders Know and Do. And the one secret is great leaders serve. You say, see the future, engage and develop others, reinvent continuously, value results and relationships, and embody the values. And of course, that spells out serve. I wanted to talk about that because those are the basic skill sets of a leader. That book sold 700,000 copies. Quite a few. Yeah. And those are the basic skill sets. Mm -hmm. But people read that book and said, okay, what's next? And you realize there actually is something next that may even be more foundational than the skill sets of a leader, and that's the character of a leader. And that's what I would like to talk about today. Okay. Not the soft skills that we can all learn, but the actual matters of the heart. And well, me, who you are. Yeah, let me tell you how we stumbled on that. Yeah. Um, 
working with Ken again almost twenty years ago. It was my first book project, so I was so excited. Wow, what a and, great first book project! Oh my goodness, it was. It couldn't have been any better. Yeah. And so part of his process is to do multiple drafts, which made perfect sense to me because I needed multiple drafts. And on one of the drafts, I think it was draft six or seven. I mean, wow. we'd done several. We started distributing it widely, and someone called me and said, "I just want you to know that this book is garbage." And I said. Thank you very much. <laughs> I said, can you say a little more about that? And they said, you just missed it. You totally missed it. You aren't talking about what's most important. And I said, and what would that be? And they said, leadership character. And I said, oh, well, that's a given. Well, they said, it may be given at Chick-fil-A. It's not given in the real world. Right. They said, you totally missed it. So in draft eight, we added something in the front of that book. It's only a couple of pages. And it's our picture of leadership, and it's an iceberg. Hmm. And we said about 90% of the iceberg below the waterline, that's leadership character. About 10% above are the skills, or we now call them the fundamentals of leadership. That book is about the 10%. Yeah. So we had to almost give our readers permission to move past what is such a, an essential part of effective leadership. And it wasn't until several years later that we came back and I wrote the book, The Heart of Leadership, because people kept saying, help us with the below the waterline part. Right. Don't just tell us it's important. Don't just tell us you're going to select for it. We need to figure out what are those attributes? What are those marks that distinguish leaders? And that's how that work was born. What happens when your leaders don't have character? People don't follow them. Ultimately, they'll just they'll bail out. Or they may just not follow them yeah. and not bail out. Yeah. You see it all the time, men and women who have the skills, and you would assume they could lead because technically they know how, but people don't respond well to them. They actually don't follow them, and that's almost always a character issue. You and I talked at dinner last night. This is a little side point about how to attract and attain talent, and one of the things that really talented people look for when they're looking for a job is they're looking for a better boss. Absolutely. It's one of the three things. We'll get into that some other time. Yes. But if you develop your people and help them understand, I think most people want to have character. They just need a path to develop it and understand it and define it and maybe even gamify it, score well, it a little and, bit. And, and language and clarity. Right. You know, there are a lot of character traits in the world. And part of our challenge in this work was saying, what are those essential leadership character traits. This isn't about don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Yeah. Those are foundational. You don't want those present just in your leaders. You want those present in every Everywhere, employee. Yeah. But leaders are different. In fact, that was the working title of the book for six months. Leaders are different. Doesn't mean they're better, just they're different. Mm -hmm. And their character, it, it has different marks uh, than a non-leader. Well, and it matters because, you know, if you have good leaders, you're going to attract better people. So actually... Yeah. Helping them develop these characteristics are important. Yeah. Now, I know you probably want to jump into those. I do. But let me tell you a quick, fun story. Please. So my publisher is Barrett Kohler, a small publisher on the West Coast, and they do a thing called Author Day. I don't know if other publishers do. I don't know if you do those or not, but I get to come in and kind of pitch the book to the staff. Now, the deal's already done. This is my chance to excite right. them about the work. And I love doing that because uh, I'm in the fortunate position because I have a day job selling chicken. I get to give away all the money. If the books make any money, I give it away. So I go in and say, hey, folks, let's do a great book and we'll help change the world. So that's kind of my pitch. Right. So I go in to talk to the staff about the heart of leadership. And the president of the publishing company stands up to introduce me and he says, people don't read books anymore. This is the president of the company. Yeah. And I'm looking at him like, 
this may be the worst introduction I've ever had in my entire <laughs> life. And I'm, he actually stopped. Like he was expecting me to stand up and, and I'm going, I'm not, no, you have to say a little bit more if I'm going to stand up and come that way. He said, and if people do read books, they don't read the whole book. And I'm sitting there looking at him going, where is this going? Like, what right. are you talking about? And so I actually said to him in front of the whole staff, I said, and what would you have me do with that information? Like, yeah. okay, now we're having a conversation. And he said, well, he said, your book, The Heart of Leadership, has five character traits in it. And I said, yes, sir, it does. And he said, you better put the most important one first because people aren't going to read the entire book. Hmm. So I left there that day and worked for six more months on that manuscript to rewrite it so that I could put the most important one first. And so I want to talk about that one first. <laughs> okay, sounds In case good. people don't listen. I'm sure they'll listen to this whole interview. There are five. There are five. Can we talk about the most important yes, one first? Yes, absolutely. Think others first. And you say think others first. You mean that in quotations. Think yeah, others think first. Think others first. Right. Because that is the cornerstone of servant leadership. And I believe servant leadership is the highest form. There are many forms of leadership, but servant leadership is the highest form of leadership, and it really begins with a desire and an ability, and I would say a cultivated ability, to think others first. Because for most human beings, that's not our natural inclination. No. That's and it, not and, our and, natural and tendency. it's a survival mechanism to think sure. of yourself first, right? So it's sacrificial to put others first. Or one of the reasons we think it's so beautiful when somebody saves a child or an animal or something like that is because it's so rare to see mm -hmm. this absolute sacrifice of somebody else for others. What does it look like in a daily operation to think of others first? I mean, how do you do that sincerely and with authenticity? Well, fun story. I've chosen to call it a fun story. I did an assessment a year and a half ago. One of, you know, We do these from time to time so we can learn and grow and get better. And you and I have probably been doing those our whole lives. Yeah. Somebody got a new assessment? Sure, I'll take it. Maybe I'll learn something. And I always do, by the way. And so this one came with a debrief, like with a consultant. And they acted like there was something wrong when they walked in the room and they said, we need to talk. And I'm going, okay, that's why we're here. And there's an issue. And I said, okay, what's the issue? And they said, according to this data, when you walk into a room, you're not trying to lead. And I said, well, thank you. They said, well, well, well most leaders, when they walk in the room, they're trying to lead. So I'm trying to walk in a room and see how I can add value. Hmm. I'm trying to walk in a room and see how I can serve. And maybe the answer is to lead. And maybe it's not. Hmm. And I said, my guess is the person who created your survey has a different view of leadership than I do. Yeah, that's fascinating because when we walk into the room with an agenda, it takes a long time to figure this out in business. When you walk into the room with an agenda and you force that agenda, things sometimes go well, but they mm -hmm. often don't. And when you walk in the room and say, okay, where's the wind blowing in this room? What are people trying to accomplish? What's the problem they're trying to solve? And you serve that. It's a whole different mentality. But it's very counterintuitive. Mark. It is counterintuitive. It's not the easiest thing to figure out how to do. And when I talk about this think others first idea, I often say, and I may have even said it a moment ago, that you can cultivate the ability to. Again, I don't think it's natural for a lot of reasons. Some even, I would argue, are spiritual in nature. Yeah. We don't think about others first. That's not our natural instinct. But I think you can you can learn to do that. So I know we've got other things we want to talk no, no, about. Please, Let yeah. me give you one tactic that I've been telling people all over the world that's gotten some traction. What would happen if you tried to add value to every person you meet? Define add value. Make their life better, make their okay. life okay. more how, rich, how, save them time. Let me time, ask you, how save... can you add value to somebody? 
Well, I think of Bain Capital's pyramid, right? So help them save time, help them save money, help okay. them get access to something they didn't have access okay. to. Help, help develop all, them. But all make, those it, make it make it more personal than that. How about a smile? How about an encouraging gotcha. word? Yeah. Right. How about help an old woman carry a package? I mean, just I mean, let your imagination go wild. Gotcha. Right. Compliment someone sincerely on their outfit or their tie or pass on a resource. Send somebody an email. Thank someone. Listen to someone. Smile. I mean, just... just. Yeah. So here's the assignment that I ask people to consider. If you said, I'm going to try to add value to every person, how would it change your heart? How would it change your life? It changes everything. It I changes mean, everything. As you talked about that, I know I've got a meeting coming up. It's not today. It's sometime, I think, next week. But it's a guy flying in from out of town. And I was looking at my schedule today, and I realized that's one of the meetings I shouldn't have taken. You know, and literally flying in from overseas, he's going to pitch something to me that I'm not in my wheelhouse. I'm not going to be able to help. And so I've already thought, okay, I need to go into that meeting being very kind, make a good impression, blah, blah, blah. But actually going to the meeting and saying, okay, I'm not going to be able to work with this gentleman. I'm not going to be able to solve his right. problem, I don't think. But how can I add right. value, period? It's a whole different goal right. walking into a meeting. Right. There's a different focus rather than right. stay away, right? Now, let me say, let me quickly add, there are people, and I'm positive, there are people who are going to listen to this that are going to go, whoa, 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 that's impossible. I said, okay, suspend judgment, hit pause, just a moment. You got to listen to what I said. Try to add value. You will gotcha. not add value to Keyword every person. Try. Well, because guess what? The magic is in the effort. Because when I'm trying to add value in your life, who am I thinking about? You think about me? I'm thinking about you. Yeah. The deal is think others first. So it's the effort that changes us, not my batting average, not gosh, I only added value to 64% of the people today. But right. Did I try to add value to everyone else? And so I told, after the publisher's challenge, even though it was a very awkward introduction, <laughs> yeah. I went back and I said, this has to be first if you really want to be a servant leader, if you really want to be a leader that people want to follow. I think the first step is to learn to add value to others. We're doing a couple things this year on staff. Everybody's going to fill out a short, not a full, but a short life plan. That is personal goals that have nothing to do with the company. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to keep track of those plans all year long with an execution team and continue to ask the question, how is StoryBrand helping your dreams come true, employees? Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to see a lot more buy-in and engagement because the company actually is trying to help you mm -hmm. rather than just you trying to help the company. Are we on to something there? Oh, I think you are. In fact, there's a great book, if you've not read it. Matthew Kelly wrote a book called Dream Manager. Oh, wow. No, I've never. And, that sounds wonderful. Um, we actually teach our people that that's one of the best practices for driving engagement is to foster dreams. That's beautiful. When you foster dreams, you think about the people who helped you in your life. Oh, gosh, yeah. And, and how connected you are to those people. Yeah. How engaged you are when you think about those people and are asked to serve with or by those people. And so we think it's a great strategy. I'm absolutely convinced you're on to something. Okay, awesome. Well, we'll tell you how it goes anecdotally. It's, it's going to go well. You guys do better research. It's going to go well. Than, uh, and some of our operators have do. done it. I walked into an operator recently, and they had three-by-five cards all over the wall and uh, on a bulletin board in the kitchen. And said, so I want you to show you this, show you this. We're so excited. These are the dreams of my people. And these are hourly people working in a Chick-fil-A restaurant. She said, but I want to draw your attention to these three right here in the corner. And I said, okay, tell me, tell me. She said, these are three of my team members who dreamed of buying a home, and we've helped them do it. That's amazing. 
So again, it's not only energizing for the dreamer, but for those of us that have the privilege to help others fulfill their dreams, it's quite a rush. That's beautiful. Yeah. All right, everybody you're, needs You're going to love it. Don't fast forward this ad. I know as soon as I say, I'll be right back with the rest of my interview with Mark Miller, you hit fast forward. But this ad is different because I have a free resource for you that is about surviving a recession. Is there a recession coming? Inevitably. We're 10 years into a 10-year cycle. Now, we've got some weird stuff happening in the stock market, and that's not good. That means we're heading toward a recession. We've got great numbers in terms of employment. That's good news on Main Street. That means we aren't heading toward a recession. We've got some, I don't know, C-minus scores coming in from real estate because housing prices have flatlined. We've got some negative numbers coming in from car sales, another sign of a recession. They are in decline. That means we're heading toward a recession. So how do you read the tea leaves? I have no freaking clue whether we're heading toward a recession or not. But for years, recession scared me because I lost... $350,000 in the 2008-2009 crash. That's how much I lost. That was everything at the time. I lost it in an investment that really was my fault, and I learned a lot from that, and thank God for that. But if that happens again, I've been thinking for the last nine and a half years, what in the world am I going to do? And I've actually written it all down in a PDF. These are the five things that I would do and have done in order to prepare a business for a recession so that you can thrive and not decline. I offer this to you because we've got to do this together. A recession does not mean that you are going to lose a ton of money. It could mean that instead of having a 40% growth in business, you have a 15% growth in business. And how great would it be with a 15% growth in business to not lay anybody off, to not go further into debt, to not have sleepless nights, to not wonder whether you're going to go bankrupt and be able to ride through that two or three years. And not only that, and here's the key, but to actually use the recession, that two years or or maybe three, that business isn't quite great, to actually structure your business in such a way that when you come out of the recession, you smoke the competition. That is, you actually did the work during the recession while you have a chance to breathe because business isn't coming in as strongly, while you have some bandwidth and some time to actually prepare yourself like a rocket ship just to take off when the economy comes back. In order to do that, you need to be ready before the recession hits. So go to recessionready.com. That is recessionready.com. At recessionready.com, I am not going to sell you anything. It's just a PDF that tells you the five things that I think you should do to be recession ready. And here's another thing. I don't care if a recession comes. You should do these five things anyway. It's just great business strategy. It's sound. It makes sense. It's wisdom. It's old school wisdom and how you should run your business. I've been wanting this thing out for a year. We finally have it out. Go to recessionready.com. Go there right now and get this PDF. Email everybody on your staff and have them read it. This is your play-by-play strategy for if the market starts to decline, if the economy starts to decline. Go to recessionready.com right now and get that PDF. Be ready. If your competition gets this PDF and you don't, four years from now, they're going to be smoking you. Don't let them do it. Recessionready.com. Okay, you've got four more here, and I don't want to get them out of order. No, the order is irrelevant after you get the first one. Okay, gotcha. (laughs) All right, you've got a hunger for wisdom, Mm -hmm. one of the characteristics of a leader. A leader with character hungers for wisdom. Yes. If you don't have a spirit of humility, 
you won't hunger for wisdom. And what's the connection? You'll assume you already know. Yeah, that's true. You'll assume you already know. It's like, been there, done that, yeah. got the T-shirt. But leaders are learners. And I know 20 years ago, that there was a popular phrase that leaders are readers. Well, I kind of reject that because all leaders aren't readers, but all great leaders are learners. Yeah. Because some read, some have mentors, some listen to podcasts, you know, any number. Some uh, seek out experiences and learn. We all learn different ways, but the best leaders are learning. They know they have to set the pace because if they're not learning, their people aren't learning. And in today's world particularly, an organization that's not learning is dying. Because mm-hmm. things are changing Things quick. are changing and Especially so if a lot of our listeners have growing companies. They're succeeding. And that means that company looks different year yeah. two than it does year one. So what, and what you've got to develop. You've got to yeah. learn. We say if you want to grow your business at 10% a year, you've got to grow at 10% a year. Wow, that's a great way to say it. You want to grow your business at 20% a year? You got to grow yourself twenty percent a year, Mark. Why do you use the word wisdom instead of knowledge? What do you see the difference? Why did you choose the word wisdom? I think uh, wisdom is the application of knowledge because sometimes we know things that we don't act upon. Yeah. <laughs> so wisdom is actually it gets right down into how you behave around folks, mm-hmm. not just what you know. It's not just what you know. So two quick tactics that people might appreciate as you think about this, and one is feedback. If you'll seek feedback as a leader, as a leader, that actually can help propel your quest for wisdom. And secondly, seek counsel. For too long, I didn't draw the distinction. I said, "Oh yeah, I got." There's another different. Feedback is on the past. Counsel is about the future. Mm-hmm. Learn from the past, but also learn from those who've been before you and done things that you want to do or need to do. Yeah. And then you're actually borrowing their wisdom. That's beautiful. By getting counsel. So feedback and And, and a lot of people listening, they've hit a point where, and you may have noticed this, you have to actually think about it. I know there was a point in my career, especially when more people started coming on staff, and it hit a point where people, even my wife sometimes, wouldn't tell me if my fly was down. Mm-hmm. Because there's too much risk for them. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to come up and say, hey, you were a little cocky in that meeting. Mm-hmm. You were a little short with the team, and or you were distracted. You seemed like you were daydreaming the whole time. People won't tell you that anymore. You have to seek it out. Yeah. You have to... I, and I you tell, have to be the sort of personality that they know they, they're safe saying that to. Yeah. I tell folks, you've got to become predatory about <laughs> learning. Okay. Now, I will say, somebody challenged me, this has happened more than once, they said, well, that's probably easy for you. And mm. I said, well, why would you say that? I'm sure you and many of your listeners are familiar with Strength Finders. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And they said, well, because our organization has done some of that in the past. And they said, well, I bet you're a learner. You know, everybody's got those 32 or 34 attributes, which everybody loves strength finders because they tell you what you're good at. Right. And so they said, I bet it's as easy because you're a learner. And I said, learning's not in my top five. Learning's not in my top 10. I'm not sure learning's in my top 20. Hmm. And they said, well, you act like a learner. And I said, well, thanks. Because I made a strategic choice almost 40 years ago. Because my first real boss at Chick-fil-A was Dan Cathy, Truett's mm-hmm. son. And he convinced me early, early, early on that your capacity to grow determines your capacity to lead. And I said, huh, is that how that works? Now, my parents wish I'd learned that when I was a student because <laughs> I was an awful student. Yeah. And I said, okay. You know, I'd rather listen to the radio, but I'll listen to a book or a podcast or a sermon because that's what I do. Because I made that choice. Yeah. So I learned to learn because I realized that that was the key to growing influence and growing opportunity. 
my daddy used to say, you can't sell out of an empty wagon. Yeah. I couldn't have recommended Matthew Kelly's book to you if I didn't know about Matthew Kelly's right, book. Right, right. All right, keep learning. Expect the best. We've got think others first, hunger for wisdom, and expect the best. This is just about a spirit of optimism. It's not uh, looking at the world through rose-tinted glasses, and the glass isn't half full or half empty. I tell people it's all full, half air and half water. It's just it's full. <laughs> right, yeah. Right? It's believing the best about people. It's a believing the best about outcomes, grounded in reality. But people don't want to follow. Remember, this is really about becoming a leader people want to follow. Right. Who wants to follow a pessimistic leader? In fact, I don't know that I could name one successful pessimistic leader. Boy, that's really true, isn't it? Well, because think about what we're trying to do. As leaders, we're trying to rally people to a preferred future. Yeah. Well, preferred, in my mind, means that it's better. And if I'm a pessimist, I'm trying to cast vision for, join me to go to this awful place, and it's going to be really hard, and we're probably all going to die. We probably shouldn't do it. Who wants to go with me? Yeah. That's the way the pessimist approaches yeah. it, right? It's just something that I think we have to help leaders understand. If that's your nature, by temperament or wiring or training or whatever might cause you to think that way, you've got to think differently. You've got to look at the half full or the completely full glass. Doesn't mean you avoid risk. Doesn't mean you deny the facts. Doesn't mean you deny the truth. You've still got to be grounded in reality. But if you don't expect the best from yourself and from others, it will affect how you lead and it will minimize or reduce your fellowship. And it's important to note that, you know, for those of us running businesses, there's a lot of money in being positive. And what I mean by that is it's actually one of our core values. We have three core values there in rank order. One of them is being positive. And we define that by we find a bright side to almost every situation. And last year we made a product that didn't do super well. I mean, we expected it to do about 80% better than it did. We had an amazing year anyway, but we expect it to do about 80%. We could have easily said, boy, we failed. Man, we just don't know what we're doing, blah, blah. And we took it and we said, you know, if we actually repackage that and put it over here, boy, how awesome that we learned from that. And that sort of positivity will turn into problem solving. It'll turn into repurposing material, yeah. making it work. Because it's really not about having a perfect batting average. It's about getting back up. It's about you know having the positivity to say, boy, I got knocked down, but let's get back mm -hmm. up and let's figure this out and let's learn how not to get hit again and what those do we kinds learn? of things. Yeah, what how do we, we fail forward? Yeah, I love it. Okay, accept responsibility. This is uh, leadership 101, but it's the, one of the hardest things for us to do. Accept responsibility. What do you mean by that? Well, at the simplest explanation, it's the best leaders don't blame people. Hmm. Now, they're quick to give praise when it's due and it's appropriate, but they don't blame people. I mean, leadership is about, at its core, I would say, the willingness to accept responsibility for others <laughs> right? and their actions and the related outcomes. Mm -hmm. I had a situation that happened not too awful long ago. I was in our officers meeting and something had happened on my team, several levels down in the organization that had not gone well. It was enough of an issue that it had made it to the officer's agenda. Wow. And they looked at me and said, what happened? Well, I had a decision to make in that moment, <laughs> right? I mean, do I get into all the gory details about this person did this and that person did that and this person did this and that person dropped the ball and this person didn't catch it? And I said, I own it. We messed up. I own it. 
we're working to see that it doesn't happen in the future. Period. Yeah. I mean, if I had said, and Sally dropped the ball, how long do you think it would have taken for word to get out to that Sally threw somebody under that the I bus. threw her under the bus? Yeah. Almost everything that's happened in my little company, and there's been very few, but something will happen. You realize as the leader really quickly, in many ways, it really is your fault because you didn't clearly define objectives. You didn't develop somebody. You threw somebody in over their head. You didn't give them the resources. You didn't. Yes. You know, and at the time you hear something happen and it happened over here in a vacuum because you weren't meeting with that person or actually helping them or you left them on their own. It's not just a, I'm going to take responsibility for other people's messes because I'm the big man. No, it really is your fault. Well, okay. And, <laughs> in many ways. And, yes, and I follow that logic completely. And then still sometimes they have to take the leader has done too. everything yeah, yeah. that he or she could and should reasonably do, and someone will still mess up. Yeah. I still own that. My watch, my accountability, my responsibility. That's the character trait that makes others want to follow a leader. Even that, from an early age, is a bit counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. Because we learn in elementary school to point the finger at somebody else and get it off you as fast as mm -hmm. possible, mm -hmm. and that's how you survive. Mm -hmm. And really, as you get older and as you become a leader, it's the opposite. I mean, when people see you know, a prominent leader and he or she stands up at the podium and blames somebody else, everybody senses without knowing they're sensing it, that person's days are numbered, right? Because... Somebody has to take responsibility for this. Well, their days are numbered or people think... I don't want to work for them. I don't want to work for them. Yeah. Okay, and finally, the fifth, respond with courage. That sounds so inspirational. What do you mean? It's very uh, pragmatic. It's good if it's inspirational, but courage is required to lead well. And it's courage in the little things. It's courage in the big things. It's decisions about strategy. It's decisions about people. It's is it courage against fear? What is it courage, you know, courage demands a, a conflict? It's courage against timidity. Hmm. It's courage against passivity. The willingness to act. It's the willingness to decide. Now, that decision may actually be to delegate something. Yeah. But there's courage required. Again, a hard conversation, a strategic decision. If you're the guy making the decisions of what products you're going to make and create and sell and which ones you're not, there's a little bit of courage there. Yeah. You have to be able to make good decisions pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Yes, quickly is better than slowly, but good decisions is, Period. is the answer, <laughs> yeah. independent of the pace. And I would say as the pace of the world has quickened, the demands on leaders to make those decisions more quickly also quickens. Mark, I want to point out to our listeners, you don't just sit down and come up with five things that sound good in a book. You guys actually put millions of dollars into researching and figuring out what are these characteristics. And that's the first question. What research went into coming up with these five things? And then I have a second. Okay. Well, it varies from project to project. As you and I discussed at dinner last night, I've just finished the eighth book. And Congrats. That's thank amazing. you. They're just short stories, so don't overplay that. But, but there I, have been I've eight, tried to write those short story books. Eight, I can't eight, do it. So. Eight published works. And the research methodology is unique on each and every book. So let me talk about the Teams book for a minute. We actually started experimenting. We ran our first team pilot in 1991. We didn't write that book until 2006 or seven. Wow. So we researched that for years and years and years and years and years and Just years. Just the characteristics years. of a good team. Yes. 
Yeah. And a lot of trial and error because some of those teams we learned from were in Chick-fil-A because we were helping our restaurants build those teams. Right. You take the um, talent project. We hired one of the largest global human resources firms in the world to do the first ever research on the topic of what attracts top talent. And so that's a different methodology. And we'll get into that in another interview because sure. I want to talk to you about I'm that. I'm just saying, so it... But there were millions of dollars spent coming up with that research. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we're working on a project now on execution, our first step. I cannot wait to read what well, you guys Well, I'm excited about it yeah. as well. It's the hardest thing I've ever worked on. I would imagine. Way. I would imagine. I mean, the kind of execution that we're striving for is rarely seen. There's a reason. It's really, 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 really hard. Yeah. And so we've been a couple of years in on that. We started with, we hired the folks at Stanford who did a literature review of everything that's ever been written on execution. That was step one. <laughs> it's just been crazy. You know, different, you guys put some thought different into methodologies. This. Second question, you arrive and you curate these five very important critical ideas. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you actually implement them in an organization as large as Chick-fil-A? What are the steps to being able to, what's the rollout look like? Well, Chick-fil-A is unique in several ways. One is that every restaurant is independently operated. So our rollout strategy is very different than if we were General Electric or Walmart or gotcha. someone else who would probably put everyone through some, some sort of training. training and things of that nature. And so ours is different. We do a lot of vision casting. We do a lot of selling. We do very little telling. We can't, nor should we. These are independent business people, and mm-hmm. management and leadership decisions are at the sole discretion of that independent operator. We want to add perspective. We want to share insights because they're not going to go out and spend millions of dollars and years doing research. Right. So we're doing it so they don't have to, but we're also doing it so leaders around the world don't have to. How would a company, you know, let's say I've got 250 employees. I've got 40 leaders that I've watched this video or I've listened to this podcast. I said, I want them to understand this. How would you roll that out in an organization like that? What would you do with those 40 leaders? Okay, well. Get the book. If it would add value, then go right ahead. Um, the Heart of Leadership is yeah, the book. Yeah, but we just told you what's in the book, so you don't have to read the book if you don't want to. <laughs> oh, right? come on, read the book. Okay. All right, anyway. It really has to be anchored in a point of view. And so as we started this conversation, we're trying to create a leadership culture. And I think the first step in creating a leadership culture is to have a defined common point of view. And so if this is what you believe about leadership character, you've got to be sure that people understand it. They know how to act upon it, right? How to implement, how to activate on it. Mm -hmm. You need to actually give people opportunities to lead and to practice these things. We would argue that you need some measurement mechanism. I'll come right back to that. And then fifth and finally, that the existing leaders better be modeling this stuff or you're going to undermine the whole thing. So let's go back to measurement for just a minute. Yeah, I think that's that's a huge part of execution. And again, we're just looking at the character part here, but you started this conversation talking about the skill part. So let me tell you a little bit about how we do this corporately. Now, this is not how the restaurants do it because each restaurant gets to do what they choose to do, right? That's back to their autonomy. But corporately, as we've tried to deploy these ideas, we do several things. One is a leadership talent review. Every year, every leader is reviewed on their performance and their approach to leadership, where we would talk about- These five characteristics. The fundamentals specifically is where we start. Are they actually seeing the future, engaging, develop others, reinvent continuously, so forth and so on? 
So we actually put every leader through an evaluation, and then those are reviewed at the leadership team level for calibration. Then it goes to the next leadership team, yeah, and they calibrate, and then it goes to the executive committee, and they look a review of the leaders. And so that's just one way that we've put uh, systems and mechanisms in place to reinforce this behavior. Well, I know there are a lot of people listening. They are a born leader. They understand it. They read leadership books. They are developing themselves, but they're probably not developing the people around them. And I want to thank you for giving us the path to do that. I want to go through again. These are the five characteristics of the heart of leadership. Think others first. Hunger for wisdom. Expect the best of a spirit of optimism. Accept responsibility. And finally, respond with courage. Right. And in the book, they are ordered so that it actually spells heart. You don't, you even though the book starts with think others first, the, the big reveal at the end of the book is those five attributes actually spell heart. Yeah, one thing that you can do is just actually write these five things on a piece of butcher paper on your wall or go down to Kinko's and have it printed out. And anytime you have a problem, just turn around and look at the board and say, where are we messing this up? Well, and one more quick tactical thought, because I know you asked specifically what I would do. I would have real conversations about this with leaders. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage leaders to self-assess. If you're so bold is to get others around you to help you evaluate and determine how well they see you doing these things. I think the path forward is grounded in your current reality. Fantastic. Mark, the bottom line is going to get a lot better if we develop the people around us. Grateful for your time today. Great to be with you. So, JJ, you feel ready to lead? I don't know, Don. Are you? <laughs> That's me being other-centered. <laughs> you're, you're probably, you and Tim, you know, our two main leaders on staff are two of the most other-centered people I've ever met. And I think it's one of the reasons we rarely have tension on our mm-hmm. team. We have a great culture and yeah. all that kind of stuff. I definitely need to learn more from that. I am so high D on the disc test <laughs> well, and so, I mean, you know, you, goal-oriented. You know I'm learning those the, skills. At the live workshop or our guide training Every time I get really teary, you do <laughs> because I, I get, get choked up sometimes. Yes, too. you do too. You got a but little. But I get choked. choked up about other people meeting their goals. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, but that's I mean. it. I mean, that's the thing is that that's why I love what we do because I love that I get to help other people succeed, like yeah. give them the tools and resources. And at this last one, we did a little toast, and you once got again, you I got, got choked because I just got so excited yeah. about. And that's what it really. Well, I mean, it's fifty people who are about to have dream come true yeah. careers. Yeah. Know, we're talking about our guide program. We, we train people to be marketers. So that's really awesome. You know, the other thing that this makes me think of is, you know, Mark talks about these five things. These are five things to look for in teams and leaders as you promote people. As you're promoting and as you're hiring and all those things. Great yeah. use of this podcast. Send this to every leader on your team. Say, hey, we're looking for these five things. Yep. We're, you know, this you want to know how to get in this yeah, company? Yeah, exactly. If you don't have core values in your company, you just got five of them. Yep. Send them to your team. Well, we love Mark. He's just an absolute endless deep well of wisdom. You're going to hear a lot more from Mark, hopefully, in the future. We hope to enter into a great relationship with him where we get a lot more material to our listeners. He makes this stuff for Chick-fil-A, but Chick-fil-A generously allows this content to be absorbed by anybody. And if it's worked for them to create a $10 billion business, it's going to work for you too. Mark, thank you for being on the show. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's music on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. 